0: It's sort of like cosmic pinball. We're living our purpose based on these forces that we can't always understand, kind of pushing us in different directions at different times based on what the influences are. Welcome to Living with Reality, a podcast featuring archived teachings and modern conversations with Dr. Robert Svoboda. Brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Living with reality explores Ayurveda and other wisdom traditions of India, which Dr. Svoboda has been studying for nearly 50 years. For more information, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dr. Svoboda. That's D-R-S-V-O-B-O-D-A. Hello, Dr. Robert Svoboda. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for coming on again. You're my first guest to return to the podcast.
1: (laughs) Thank you for asking me again to return.
0: Um, There's always so much to talk about with you, but, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot on this podcast is purpose and living in your purpose and you know, you and I talk about the planets, we talk about astrology a lot, and I'm wondering if you could comment on how the planets, and specifically Saturn, play into living in your purpose.
1: One thing that Nanda, my mentor, used to like to say is that Saturn is the planet of Anubhava. Anubhava means experience. So Saturn is the planet that causes you to have experiences that most of us would prefer not to have. It causes you to experience what it's like to be unwell or to be separated from other people or to become old. And eventually it causes us all to experience the reality of death as well. So Saturn is the archetypal force that is meant for reminding us that there are certain things that we are going to have to experience whether we want to or not. And being able to accept that responsibility and to understand that understanding and be comfortable with it and to, to, to be willing to have the discipline to act, to interact with reality as we move through it this is all of what all part of what saturn is about
0: so you know indigenous cultures other cultures have this understanding of us being situated in like a natural amidst natural forces and you know the west we think that we're kind of the agent making our purpose happen like we get to choose what's happening so I'm curious if you could kind of pull that apart a little bit about how the planets affect us and help us to maybe make decisions um, in ways we weren't expecting, maybe due to karma or, or something that we can't fully understand.
1: Uh, one way, uh, and of course there's so many ways of thinking about human beings, but one way of thinking about them is that human beings in, are kind of like icebergs the unconscious and subconscious minds are rarely seen and what's seen is the part that go is above the water and if you're not careful you start to think that that is the entirety of the iceberg when in fact a the vast majority of it is below water so we see on the surface what seems to be the movement of various cause and effect relationships and karmas and things like that. But what's what's really behind all those things is something that is much more difficult for us to perceive. And the the reality <clears throat> is that sometimes you are able to perceive it by looking at how the Nine grahas, the nine planets of Jyotish, move because uh, there is that concept. Uh, Hermes uh expressed it as "as above, so below," and really, that that is it's, it's, it's. Sometimes in India, people like to think that the the planets are causing things to happen. All the planets are doing are indicating which karmas for anyone are going to be manifested at which moment. So according to how the planets are constellated where you are and how they're constellated in your personal horoscope, that's, gonna do, that's going to be an indication to you that <clears throat> certain things are likely to happen or not to happen. But it's not, it's not those planets it, actually doing things all that the planets are doing is encouraging you to perceive the world in the way that they perceive it. And that will be the materially, that will materially influence how you, the decisions that you make, how to deal with the the uh, situations that you find yourself put in because of those karmas.
0: So, when we talk about like living purposefully or having a path through life, you know, what I find a lot when I talk to people here on the podcast is that the purpose is just constantly an unfoldment. It's not like they wake up and they're like, I'm going to do this thing for the rest of my life every single day. So um, it's sort of like cosmic pinball. We're living our purpose based on these forces that we can't always understand, kind of pushing us in different directions at different times based on what the influences are.
1: This, this is also part of this iceberg metaphor. It's on the surface, we believe that we have a particular purpose. And, that's, and, and we have been able to come to this conclusion on the basis of what we have been taught and what we have learned on our own <clears throat> but this is all still chiefly the conscious mind that is doing the working of it. Meanwhile, the various other karmas are, are calculating things and realigning things and so on. And what may seem to us to be our purpose at one part of our life may simply be a concoction on the part of these planets to encourage us to be thinking that is our purpose for the so that we will be able to work through certain karmas And later on, we find that, ah, this was not my purpose at all, or that I thought was my purpose. Now, I'm sure this is my purpose, but in fact, may again simply be the indication of the planets that some more karmas of a different type are showing up. So it probably, or rather, from my perspective, probably it is the case that to really what your purpose in life really is, is to follow <clears throat> where your prana is trying to take you. So if you make, it a, 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 if you make a commitment to, to always be testing reality with your own personal prana, and always be trying to move in the direction where prana is telling you you need to go where you need to be at any particular moment, because prana is the life force and it's not just your life, it's the life of of everything that is related to you around you. And as long as there is a healthy relationship among all those things, then prana is going to be very happy and that will make your the experience of your life all the richer, all the deeper, and all the more flavorful. So really when you think about the purpose of your life, it's kind of like the same way that when people try to understand the word dharma, often they will translate dharma as religion. And otherwise they will sometimes translate dharma as your career. So yes, dharma is definitely what you were put here on the planet to do. But what you're put here on the planet to do is to be aligned with all of the different ramifications of all of your different karmas so that you can deal with them as best you can. and. The only practical way to do that is to keep yourself as closely aligned with the life force, with prana as possible.
0: So would you say it's part of your purpose to experience those harder karmas maybe that Saturn is (laughs) responsible for because he is the planet of responsibility and we all have responsibilities being in, you know, in a body there are things that we have to do that maybe we don't want to do. So... Um, that is part of our purpose as well.
1: That is the, the possibly the the major part of our purpose. The Vimalananda liked to use to say that people in the West, especially in America, talk about their rights and their privileges and so on. And in India, at least in traditional India, people talked about what their responsibilities were, what their debts were, what their obligations were. So like it or not you have obligations to the earth that on that you are living on and you have obligations to the your parents who brought you up whether whether you and they can get along or not and whether you and they can even be in the same room together successfully or not you still have an obligation to appreciate the fact that you would not be alive without them so understanding that you have responsibilities to many things in the world and trying to figure out how best to, to deal with those responsibilities in an ethical and harmonious way that will respect both what is appropriate for you and what is appropriate for others that in itself is a big task and that is very much what saturn is asking all of us to do
0: so this kind of led me naturally to the word santosha so we you know, despite all of that, it's still advisable to try to develop some satisfaction. Maybe you can talk about that word and the meaning and um, how one does that now, despite all that's going on in the world. How do we kind of derive satisfaction or joy from our reality?
1: santosha Tushta, Santushta, all of these words mean contentment. And they don't necessarily mean the sort of contentment you get after you have made a lot of money and you're sitting around being idle and um, c- congratulating yourself for being so clever. The idea of Santosh is the kind of commitment where you have gotten to a place where you will no longer feel feel. Dragged to do something because you feel like you must shine out in the world or you feel feel obligated to do something because there is there is some goal that you feel that you must achieve in some way. Santosha is really seriously about not feeling in any any strong craving. Uh, in in your in your in your field of awareness, that's when you can say you're really really experiencing contentment. So the uh, contentment, of course, is mentioned in the um, uh, niyamas of the uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras because it is so important, especially when you're trying to do some sort of spiritual practice. So many people are. Uh, spiritually ambitious, they want to become uh, known for being spiritually developed, or they want to achieve supernatural powers, siddhis, or they want. There's so many kinds of 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 motives and agendas that people have in life, but and and what might be appropriate in the material world is definitely not necessarily appropriate in the in the world of spiritual development. So, so so being appreciating the fact that wherever you happen to be is the place where you are and the situation that you are in, for whatever reason you were there, is the situation that you have to deal with at that moment. And if you can feel that you are dealing with that situation as best you can, even if it is a difficult thing to do, then you can legitimately feel content. You can feel like This is a giant problem. I have dealt with it as best I can. I I know that I have not been able to solve it completely, but this is what I've been able to do, and I believe that I have at least made a little bit of progress. That doesn't mean you can lie down and never do anything again, but you can feel that you have done something. You can feel that you have been able to make however small a change, and then Taking that, you can proceed ahead and try to make another change according to the conditions in which you're in and what the what your awareness, what your prana is telling you that you should be doing at that moment.
0: And of course, there's different types of karmas. There are the ones that are harder to change. There are the ones that are somewhat hard to change, and then there's the easier ones to change. And so it's like degrees, right? And that's part of our purpose as well, is to be able to withstand and move through these things and somewhat keep an equilibrium or keep a, um, you know, a calm nature through it all. I feel like the Buddha said something about that, probably.
1: Uh, it is very much the case that there are degrees of karma. And of course, there are certain things in your life that it will be very easy to change. And we, and we call that generally adrida karma. It is not fixed. So if you put some effort into it, you're going to be able to change it. There's also drda drda karma, and that is karma that has become fixed. But if you make a a Herculean effort, you will still be able to change it. So that requires much more focus, that requires a longer period of time, that requires a lot more effort, but change is still possible. But then we do come across things like drda karma, and Udrda means or rather, sorry, Drda Karma, we do run across things like Drda karma, and Drda means fixed karma. Karma that has already been cemented in, and now getting trying to deal with it in this lifetime is going to be very challenging. So one of the things that we have to be content about is we identify the areas where there's karma, we keep them under observation we deal with whatever the problems are as they arise, and then we can feel like, at least I have identified this situation and I am managing it as best I can. It is very much the case that as long as you are in a human body, you are always going to be imperfect, no matter how spiritually advanced you become. And your evolution is always going to be continuing And you can be sure that whatever is the blind spot in your reality, whatever is the weakest perspective that you have on reality, that is not going to go away. That's why it is the blind spot. That's why it's the weakest thing. It's the thing that goes deepest into your personality. And that's the thing that you need to identify and pay attention to because that's the thing that you need to keep always, under observation so that it never has a chance to escape that observation and go off someplace where you can't see it under the iceberg somewhere and create some bigger trouble.
0: So, yeah, this all kind of speaks to being in the world but not of it, or walking the razor's edge, or there's so many different ways people have put this. Like if you're living in the world, you're not living in a cave, you have to kind of deal with the reality of your karmas, of other people, of your responsibilities, and still navigate through to the things that um, you feel are your purpose to do, whether those are fun or not fun things to do. So um, I'm curious if you, you might talk a little bit about Um, this idea of like being in the world, but not of it. And also why you said now that you're not a spiritual person (laughs) and what that means.
1: Well, a a spiritual person is somebody who has a spiritual practice and they can have that spiritual practice and it can be separated from the rest of their lives. And then they can go and they they can have the personality is still in charge. The whole point of of spiritual development is for whatever personality you current ha- currently have is for that personality to be progressively changed for, for all of its limitations to be reduced and all of the aspects that are that are altruistic and beneficial not just for you but for the rest of reality, the rest of humanity, the rest of life on earth, for those aspects to be enhanced, and that is a process that has to go on, not just while you're sitting down and meditating, but during the day when you're interacting with other people, when you are cooking your food, when you're walking down the street. As much as possible, as often as possible, your awareness should be on the fact that you are an individual, and reality is, is, consists of everything that is not you, except that you're also part of reality. And there, there is this ongoing relationship between you and reality, a relationship that is always shifting, always changing. And everybody that is coming into everybody, everything that comes into your space is coming there because you have some kind of karmic relationship with that person, place, or thing. And it, it's, it's always good to remember that those are your karmas, that are causing all these things to happen that doesn't mean that you need to think of yourself as a victim what it needs to be what you need to do is you need to think that in fact it is i who has created this situation in which i find myself by the actions that i performed in the past let me perform actions right now here in the present so that I will have the opportunity in the future not to have as many challenges as I may have now because if I have less challenges, I will be able to focus all the more effectively on the supreme reality and that will be more be- a, a, of greater benefit to me and to others as well and hopefully, therefore, to the world in general.
0: So I work with um, spiritual entrepreneurs in their business. So I see a lot of, um, uh, what would be the word like having different personalities for different activities, you know? So like in, in your business, you're professional and you show up a certain way and, and then you're totally different in your life. Like maybe you're silly and you're fun. Right. And I try to help them kind of unify those things into one so that they're more, um, coherent and actually appealing to their ideal client because they're really human. You know, they're almost like a full person rather than a part, you know what I mean? So, um, this too is part of that living in the world and being kind of whole, being your full self, the spiritual part of yourself, the business part of yourself and bringing all those parts together and not having to separate them into compartments. You know what I'm saying?
1: Uh, The uh, spiritual teacher and writer E.J. Gold, and I'm paraphrasing him here, says that the human species is characterized by individuals who have a substantial number of separate personalities that are acting more or less on their own without any overall control of which personality might be acting at one time. So yes, many people... Uh, have many separate different personalities, and it is certainly under certain circumstances appropriate to have an, a different approach to, a, a, naturally you would interact with the president or the prime minister differently than you would interact with um, the librarian. The, the environment in the, the, the setting is different. But you, at least, should be aware of the fact that you are actively making this change instead of it being a subconscious or unconscious thing because then what does tend to happen is these different personalities tend to get concretized and then it become cognitive dissonance starts to happen subconsciously and unconsciously and that itself makes you uneasy and unsure and perhaps somewhat anxious, and all of those things increase vata, and that makes your misalignment and lack of harmony continue to to become more and more aggravated. So getting all of those different personality subunits at least to communicate with one another and to have some sort of centralized awareness function that can identify when a particular personality is is activated or not, this is an extraordinarily useful thing to have happen.
0: Can you talk a little bit about ahamkada and what this is and how it relates to kundalini, just so that we can understand, like, when we're trying to move in a more spiritual direction, how do we, uh, how is our personality limiting us?
1: So ahankara, the word aham in Sanskrit means I, as opposed to you or he or she or they or it. And ahankara, kara is the thing that causes or creates. So ahankara is the thing that causes or creates the sense of I-ness in a human being. And we can think of the human being as being a continuum of I-ness, individuality, separateness, me-ness on the one hand and cosmic uh, generality on the far other hand. So there's a big spectrum there. You can either be completely focused and totally focused on yourself as all the world's great conquerors, megalomaniacs, and mass murderers have been, or you can be completely and totally focused on the benefit of all as the great saints and avatars and uh, uh, sages of the world have been. Most people are somewhere on the in-between. The greater the degree to which ahankara and this is a this is a shakti this is a natural force and this natural force is the force of self identification so you're always identifying yourself with something this is my address these are my clothes that's my car this is my wife this is my husband that's my dog these are my kids these are things that you say that the the word mine it belongs to me, I possess it, I'm associated with it, there is a connection to it, there is a bondage to it, however you you identify it to yourself, there there is some sort of ongoing relationship that is focused from your perspective on you. That's when you call it mine. So ahankara is always focused on creating more and more of that my-ness and Kundalini is always focused more and more on connecting to some aspect that is bigger than you as an individual, which is why it, it, uh, 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 the Tantric people always teach that it is very wise for you to be focusing on a deity as your kundalini becomes aware, uh, activated, wake, awakened, and then uh, cultivated, so that all of that energy that is being released, because it's no longer involved in tying down the, the tenets of your personality, that energy can go to identify with a more, less individualized, less localized more transcendent reality, which is a good direction for you to go in because inevitably you are going to die. And when you do die, whatever it is that you have been focusing on is the direction in which you're going to go. So ahankara is always, at, when when ahankara is activating, it's always moving in the direction of constricting, narrowing, focusing, and, and, and uh, identifying with the individual. Kundalini is always about letting go of that individual and connecting to something else. We want Kundalini to be directed in a good direction because otherwise she will identify with whatever it is that, that according to your karmas, she might identify with, and that may not be useful for you. So as she is being released, she needs to be well focused on something. And the the degree to which you're this, and it's the same energy. The only difference in this particular energy is the direction in which it is moving. It's either the direction of greater individuality and ego identification and personality aggrandizement or it's in the direction of letting go of all that and becoming aware of what exactly is the nature of existence that is not so limited to an individual reality. And all of us are living in in a, 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 a in whatever situation we're living in, we're living in a balance of some kind between ahankara and Kundalini. And many people, Kundalini is totally asleep, but it's never totally asleep. And in many people, kundalini is totally awake, but it's never totally awake. So we should be moving in the direction of kundalini being more awakened, but in order for that to happen in a sustainable way, we first have to make sure that our own situations, our own personalities, our own realities are stable, really stable, not just stuck somewhere, really stable, and harmonious and that there is a an equitable kind of relationship with those of us those who are close to us and those who are part of our realities and then when that's the case then ahankara the i-forming process does not need to put as much energy into maintaining that individuality you will have the community that is part that you are part of to help you maintain that individual reality of yours, and then you can release even more of your energy to connect to the supreme reality.
0: That's really interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking about how the fourth Veda, the Atarva Veda, was all about these really practical things like Ayurveda and how like daily routine is all about <laughs> establishing yourself so that you can almost... I mean, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but so that you can open up towards that more divine reality and that kundalini can rise because you have a grounded body that's not disturbed by the doshas, for example. Like all those different tools that were in that veda seem to be about managing this reality kind of on the thread of what we've been talking about.
1: It's kind of ironic or something that... Even a couple of thousand years ago, many Brahmins, many of the priesthood class in India did not regard the Atharvaveda Veda as a Veda. That they regarded only three Vedas as being part of the orthodox Vedic canon. And the Atharvaveda Veda was regarded as being not quite of that same quality because it was interested more in what was actually happening with people and what we could do to assist them to improve whether it was physiologically or mentally or energetically or whatever it might have been so there was there was there was definitely and when Ayurveda started to emerge in the form it currently is uh, from that original Ayurveda that was in the Ved, uh, then then there were many people who said that Ayurveda was uh, was was not, fit to be part of the Vedas because it dealt with, with things like uh, uh, blood and pus and the human body and so on, which were not spiritual. And uh, the famous Ayurvedic writer, Chattaka uh, says that if anyone asks you which Veda you follow, uh, and he's talking to Ayurvedic uh, uh, practitioners here, you should boldly say I follow the Atarva Veda because that is the Veda that is focused on assisting human beings to become healthier and move in the direction of being well-integrated human beings. I'm paraphrasing him, of course, but the point is that rather than being otherworldly, as is so easy to happen when you move in a spiritual direction, Charaka and, and Ayurveda in general, it says, let us align ourselves with this world. Let's let's create a healthy uh, 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 position for ourselves in this world. We don't have to be overly ambitious. We don't have to be focusing all. In fact, we should not be focusing all our all our energy onto uh, gaining fame and gaining money and gaining uh, possessions and things like that. But we need to have enough possessions and we need to have enough assets that we can deal with whatever kind of situation happens to be, uh, that we happen to find ourselves in, in the current reality that we happen to be part of.
0: And that does bring us to what may seem like a non sequitur, but I think is very tied in, which is money, which you have mentioned before is a Shakti of its own. And I think a lot of people put a lot of focus on money and almost it's related to what you were saying before about the um, um, humkara. They get very constricted around it, whether they're afraid they're going to lose it, afraid they won't be able to make enough of it, or they, you know, spend it really wildly. They're heavily focused on it. Right. So um, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about money because um, you are really the person who helped me and taught me to have a different relationship with money to save it. To invest it, to designate beneficiaries, to be aware that you're going to die, and no matter how small your assets, to you know know where they're going to go when you're when you're gone, so that there's not problems for the people who succeed you. Um, so you know this is one of those kind of concrete examples of um, of things that we can get uh, overly tied up in, focused on. Um, But we can also have a really healthy relationship. And now I feel like I have a really healthy relationship with money and I'm able to make it more easily as a result of that because I'm not focusing on it in an unhealthy way, if that makes sense.
1: No matter if you're focused on money, whether you're focused on craving it or focused on thinking that it is a horrible and terrible thing, that focus is taking you away from being focused on other things. And especially in this world in which we are living right now, the, everything is, has become commercialized. Everything is about money now. Even it, it, pe- countries are struggling with one another economically. Every, every, it has, or as Vimalananda used to say, uh, everything is being measured with a material foot rule. So it used to be that there could be, we could evaluate things spiritually or psychologically or emotionally or something. No, everything's about money nowadays. Sometimes uh, people will quote Jesus of Nazareth and say that money is the root of all evil, but he didn't say that. What he said was the love of money is the root of all evil. Loving money is a very unfortunate uh, curse. Uh, it 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 it's something that that will take you over and cause you never to be satisfied with anything. Since we were talking about contentment and satisfaction earlier, in fact, one rich guy, I think it was John D. Rockefeller, when he was asked, "How much money do you really need?" His answer was, "Just a little more." <laughs> so that is really typical of what. Jesus really meant, that this is the love of money. This is now, I'm. Fo- you're not focused on, let me just repeat a few more mantras. Let me just sing a little more and enjoy that space where I and my deity are communing. No, it's all about how can I have more of this tamas? Because money, of course, is a form of tamas. It is manifested prosperity that you can do things with. And money is a very useful thing, especially nowadays. And if you look at the four Purusharthas, Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha, Dharma, you need to have a clear idea of what your purpose is in life and how you're going to address that purpose. And then Artha, you need to have sufficient of of the material aspects of life to be able to achieve that purpose. And so that does not need that, mean that you need to focus on becoming a millionaire or a billionaire. It doesn't mean that you need to focus on money even. What it does mean is you need to understand that in order to perform the tasks that your path through life is asking you to perform, in order to be um, able to take care of those responsibilities, that you are responsible for, especially in this world, you need to have sufficient cash in order to do that. So it, you need to put enough energy into figuring out the best way for you to have an income so that you then don't have to think about it so much. Find a find find the way that works for you best so that you can take in what you need to take in that you can then employ in the way you need to employ it and recognize that, especially nowadays, it's not the case like it was back when people were living in villages and you became old and decrepit and either your kids or if you didn't have any kids, your nieces and nephews, or if you didn't have any of them, somebody in the village, because you were part of the village, would take care of you. Nowadays it's not the same kind of thing so you may not need to accumulate millions of dollars, but you do need to have some awareness of how you're going to take care of yourself now and what are you gonna do when you get older you have to be responsible for that so that you're you're not causing somebody else to feel obligated to be responsible for you and yes, just as you mentioned um, it, it is. In my opinion, essential to realize that you're going to die one of these days, and it could happen today. And if it did, and of course I'm thinking about this because um, last year someone passed on without a will, and that has been a giant headache for me. Somebody I was responsible for in certain ways, and just just make out, just indicate to somebody what you want to do with your possessions. Just make a very simple will according to the jurisdiction you're in. In the United States, that would be according to the state and to some degree the county. But in other countries, look it up and find out what is the, where you are and what the legality is. It doesn't have to be complicated, but please don't leave those who come after you a bigger problem than you need to. And so this is also all part of understanding that this is part of our reality. Money is currently a giant part of our reality and you have to have a healthy relationship with it. And the way to help have a healthy relationship with any kind of shakti is to, to welcome it in, but make it clear that, it's, that shakti is welcome as long as there is a healthy relationship between um, you and the Shakti, uh, Vimalananda used to say that um, uh, that he very much appreciated Lakshmi, but he was married to Saraswati, and so he always said to Lakshmi, "You're you're most welcome to come and live here, but I am married to Saraswati," and. Uh, and and she is she is the shakti that I am always going to be with. So you please come when you like, and if you choose to go, please go. Because that's another thing about Lakshmi, and that Lakshmi in this case, ad- identifying with money, Lakshmi is more than money. But right now, with the money as the Lakshmi shakti, it she does not always stay with the same person or the same family all the time. She will come and she will go. So, when she comes, take make good use of her and put some of her away and spend what you can when you need to and on things that are really worth spending on. And when she goes, be aware that she is gone and do not try to run after her. Do not crave her and and remember try to maintain as balanced and harmonious and even a keel as possible because money is a thing that has a lot of Thomas in it. And it not only has tummus in it, it has the attention and often the greedy attention and often the possessive attention of the people who had the money before you did. And this is one reason why money from gambling and money from other kinds of things is regarded as being so so difficult to digest and so undesirable because it has a negative effect, not just on the people who were craving it, but it will have a potential negative effect on you also because their cravings are still connected to that substrate that is the money.
0: Mm. There's so much there. <laughs> Where do I begin? Um, so I was thinking while you were talking about how i I feel like business and working with money is is like tantric it you know it requires me to constantly level up in in different ways and to you know uh, work with my personality and money is a big part of that. It's like how do we again live in the world, be a part of it, and then yet yeah, ma- maintain our calmness of mind our you know our spiritual frame so to speak um on that thing and i'm thinking about that story that you you told yesterday about how namdev met his guru and he you know walked into this temple and there's this old man and he's got his feet up on the shiva linga which in india is like very you're not supposed to do that at all you don't have your feet uh facing any kind of deity so of course namdev said uh sir um your your feet are on the linga. <laughs> and the, the man said, oh, I'm very old. Please help me move my feet. And Namdev moves his feet. And then a linga emerges out of nothing, right? Below his feet again. And he says, son, uh, where is Shiva not? You know, that concept of like, literally, no matter what we're doing, every single thing can be our sadhana. Every single thing is part of um, the alchemy of living this life in this uh, flesh suit. So <laughs> I don't know if you have any comments on that.
1: Well, um, I, that that was that was the the reason the reason why Namdev got into trouble in the first place is that he had achieved some interesting things. He had been able to communicate with Vitthala, with his beloved deity, and he started to think he was something special. And this is not unusual, this happens to everybody. You think you get uh, some success in whatever it is you do, you start to think you're special. You accumulate some money, your income goes up, you start to think you're special. And, and so what happened was, there was, a, there, was a, a, there was a meeting of a number of these saints in Maharashtra, and one of those saints was a potter named Gora Kumbar, Kumbar means potter. So Gora, was using, he had a stick that he was, he would use to test his pots because if you tapped on the pot, you if it rang in a certain tone, you could tell whether it was properly fired or not. So he tapped on everyone's head. Yes, this one is done. Ha, uh, and, and he, but then he tapped on Namdev's head and Namdev, Namdev's head didn't sound <laughs> quite right. And Gora said, Mm, this one is kind of half-baked. It needs to go back into the fire. And of course, Namdev became very upset because he said, how can that possibly be? And uh, he went to Vishnu and Vishnu said, "Mm, sorry, but uh, Gora knows what he's talking about. And Namdev said, blah, 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 blah. And Vishnu said, I tell you what, I will set you a little test. And if you pass the test, then uh, I will go back. I'll go to Gora myself and say, Namdev has passed the test. Otherwise, um, we'll have to see. And so the test was, and of course, Namdev didn't pass the test. He was wandering along. And then he saw a man and a woman who were chandala. Chandala means people who were the lowest of the low. They eat dogs. And which so is he, a big
0: deal in India. Which is
1: a big deal in India because dogs and pigs are part of the sewer system. So And dogs, of course, are you know, the beloved of uh, man's best friend, etc. And so uh, here, here they, here they were, and and um, they had a giant pot. And of course, they were Vishnu and Lakshmi, but um, Namdev couldn't see that. And so Vishnu said, "Oh my God, the pot is not yet full. Chop up those four twenty-five chickens over here, there." And they were the twenty-five tattvas of the Sankhya philosophy, and. Lakshmi chopped them all up and threw them in the pot and Vishnu in the form of the chandal was stirring and he said, huh, pot is not full yet. Chop up those four dogs over there and the four dogs were the Vedas. They were chopped up and put in the pot. And Vishnu was saying, hmm, the pot is not full yet. And then he looked at Namdev straight in the eyes and said, go, chop up that guy over there and throw him in the pot. And of course, Namdev, who could have been paying attention to whether maybe this could be some Vishnu doing this, uh, suddenly remembered that he was not quite ready to die yet because he was an important saint and all. And so then he ran off and found the Shiva temple and found Vishoba Ketchar, who became his Advaita guru there, knowing that, and of course Vishoba if he was a man who, who a Shiva linga was gonna sprout up under his feet every time he moved his feet, would definitely know that Namdev was on the way. Probably Vishnu had told him also. So he was just lying back thinking, hmm, Namdev is about to arrive. Let's see what kind of fun we can have with him. So it was a, a very extensive kind of natak, a drama that was created so that for the purpose of Namdev. And after he studied with Vishoba for a while, then he went back and Gora tipped him on the head and said, yeah, Now this one is done too.
0: Mm. Yeah, so I think we can wrap up there, but maybe you can tell us about what you've been reading since you've already been on the show and you've already done the rapid fires, but you're always reading, so.
1: Well, um, one of the books that has affected me the most in the past month or two, and I do read quite a bit, is a book called Sand Talk by a man named Tyson Yunkapurta and he is part Aboriginal from Australia, he's an Australian, and part white. And he has, he's, he's on the, he's in that boundary between the two worlds and this book is all about how the way in which the, the Aboriginal worldview emphasizes community and connection over individualism and fragmentation and how it values a healthy relationship for and respect for the land, how critical it is for people, modern people to start reevaluating the way that they, their perspective, their drishti, the way that they look at things the way they look at the world, um, if we are to be able to continue to have an inhabitable world in the uh, near to midterm future. So it's it's an excellently written book and it gives some 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 beautiful perspective that is slightly different than the than any other perspective that I've been reading about recently. So I am very interested in it. Uh, and another book that I've been looking through, I'm not gonna finish it today, but was suggested to me by your very husband, and it's called Eager, The Surpri- Surprising Secret Life of Beavers and Why They Matter. And which just
0: we have because we have beavers on the farm that have been plaguing us. <laughs> there
1: are beavers on the farm, but just in the first 60 pages, I read about how many millions of beavers used to live in North America and how totally different the landscape of North America was when the white man came because of the interaction of the beavers with the land, the native uh, populations with the beavers, and just the the, the general tendency for things to come into an equilibrium, which was totally Destroyed when people came here, and for the purpose of creating felt hats for a bunch of rich people in Europe, completely in in many parts of the country, eliminated beavers for more than a hundred years. Quite a, a, I mean, among the among the a, a bizarre and peculiar, so much unusual stuff is coming out nowadays. This is, I mean, the world is. In, in great uh, difficulty, no doubt, but so many unusual things are, like the article I read last week about Haiti and about the fact that one of the main reasons that Haiti is in such a miserable condition right now is because after they won, and they were the first country to to eliminate slavery because they there was a slave revolt, they threw off the French, they prevented Napoleon came in and, and tried to reconquer them. That didn't work. But eventually, the French threatened them to such an extent that the French first uh, demanded a bunch of reparations, then gave them a loan to pay it and, at ter- terrifically high interest rates and basically kept them in a debt trap for 150 years um, and and then, of course, complained that they were completely helpless and uh, no good because of, you know, what could... Uh, freed slaves ever be, you know, how could they ever be able to take care of themselves? So it's just, just so much so, so much is coming out now that we should have known in the past, but at least we're coming to know about now. So hopefully we will be able to move in the direction of a sustainable future, God willing, Om Namishvayah.
0: And take action where action is necessary to support these things coming to light, hopefully, and then also and underst- take care of ourselves as well. And that, understand
1: that that our actions, to some degree, God willing, will be successful, and to some degree will not be successful. And, and that will be Saturn, causing us to be dissatisfied. And in that
0: context
1: of dissatisfaction, that's where we have to find the contentment.
0: Mm. So we'll leave you with that puzzle to work on in your own life. Um, Thank you, Dr. Robert, for talking with me today.
1: Thank you.